I want to welcome you once again to Providence Road, Prov Road, Prov, whatever you call us. We accept all three. My name is Blake Hilgenfeld, and my family and I are covenant members here, and it's my pleasure to serve you this morning through the preaching of uh, God's Word. If you are a guest with us this morning, we've been going through the Gospel of John for like 15 years now. <laughs> Just playing, it's been about 10 But we are drawing near to the end, all right? So we're almost there, which means that we are almost at the very end of Jesus' life, which is laid out for us in the Gospel of John. And so this morning, we are invited into the most unbelievable trial that has ever taken place in the history of the world, the trial where God himself and the person of Jesus Christ stands before a human judge and is judged. So the one who will judge every single person who has ever lived and died will go into a human courtroom, stand before a human judge, and he himself will be judged. And so my goal for us this morning is just to simply lay out the details of the trial. For us to see how John narrates and how he lays out what has been done and what has happened in history so that we could hear this news of what has happened to Jesus. And my hope and my prayer for us this morning is that we would see what the verdict of this trial means for all of the world, all of humanity, and for you and me here this morning. And so um, let's pray And we're going to ask God to help us as we enter into and we look at the details of the spectacular trial of God. So let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we ask for your help. Father, we are in desperate need for our eyes to be opened and for us to see how you see us. What is true of us? And what is true about who you are and what you have done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. We are in desperate need of this, Father. For you are the only one who can reveal our need for Jesus. Holy Spirit, you are the one who convicts this world of sin and righteousness and of judgment. And you are the one who reveals this beautiful story and this beautiful news that Jesus is our only hope and our only way to be made right with you. Father, in this moment, I want to pray for Michelle. Father, I'm not sure where she's at. I'm not sure what she's doing, but you know exactly where she is, exactly what she needs. And we ask that you would do your work, Holy Spirit, in bringing conviction of sin, of righteousness and of judgment, and that she would run to you, Jesus, that she would see who you are, she would see what you've accomplished for her through your life and death and resurrection, and even now, you would bring her to your son, Father. And that you would bring all of us to your son. And that we would worship him. And that we would see him for being the most valuable thing in all of the universe. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, John tells us that it's early in the morning. Okay, So it's early in the morning and Jesus is being taken by force 
to the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. So he's being escorted by force as a prisoner by an angry group of religious men. His hands are tied together, and he is absolutely exhausted. He's been up all night being interrogated by Jewish religious leaders. He's gone from one religious leader to another. And not only is he completely exhausted, but he's probably now feeling the pain from the physical abuse that he received during one of his interrogations. At this point in history, Jesus' fate is coming. Soon he will stand face to face before the one human authority who has the power and authority to determine if Jesus is going to live or if he's going to die. And so when they arrive, they come to the governor's headquarters, Pontius Pilate, his headquarters, but they stop short of the entrance. They do not go in. They refuse to go in to a, the residence of a Roman pagan. It's like somehow, some way, these religious men were more concerned about keeping their external self clean rather than really being concerned about the internal cleanliness of their hearts. John says in verse 28, they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters. Why? So that they would not be defiled, but they could eat the Passover. Now, for those of us who don't know what the Passover is or was, it was uh, an act that God did for the people of Israel when they were uh, slaves in Egypt. So the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt, and they began to cry out to God for, for, for God to rescue them, to, to save them. And so God comes to Pharaoh, and he gives these commands. He says, let my people go. If not, then this is going to happen. Let my people go. If not, then this is going to happen. It gets all the way to the very end where he comes to Pharaoh. God comes to Pharaoh, and he says, let my people go. If not, I'm going to take the firstborn son of all the land of, of Egypt, including the people of Israel's firstborn son. But God comes to the people of Israel, and he says... I want you to take an innocent, pure, righteous, spotless lamb, and I want you to sacrifice it, and I want you to take, you, to take this blood, you wipe it over the doorpost of, of your house, and when the angel of God comes through the land of Egypt, he will see the blood, and God's wrath will pass over you because the innocent lamb took the place of your firstborn son. So little did these religious guys know but in their presence, they had bound the true Lamb of God. It was in this moment in history where they are sending the true Lamb of God to be slaughtered. So Pilate comes out to these religious men, and he sees a man bound as a prisoner, and he's absolutely annoyed. So Pilate is annoyed because, one, he was woken up early in the morning, and two, these guys refused to come to Pilate. Pilate had to come out to them, and that's not typically what happens. People come to the governor of Rome. The governor of Rome does not go out to the people. And so annoyed, he goes out to these guys, and he sees a man that is bound like a prisoner, and he says, what do you guys want? Verse 29, what has this man done? What accusation do you bring against him? And their response is super vague and lame and general. 
And they say, well, if this man were not doing evil, then why would we bring him to you? And Pilate sees through their lame response. In verse 31, he says, guys, why are you bothering me with your issues? These are not my issues. These are not Rome's issues. They are your issues. Why don't you go and you judge him by your own laws? Now, it's important for us to see and understand that their response to Pilate at this point in the story sets the stage for Jesus' fate. You see, they did not want Jesus just to spend a little bit of time in prison. They wanted him gone. They wanted him dead. They wanted him lifted up and nailed to a Roman cross. They wanted to be done with Jesus once and for all, but there was one problem. Under Roman law, they could not convict anyone to death. This verdict must come from Roman authority. And so they revealed their true intent of what they wanted to do to Jesus and what they wanted to happen to Jesus by saying, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. That's why we bring him to you. Now their response put Jesus and his fate in the hands of Pilate. Pilate was now in control of Jesus. And so Pilate takes Jesus into the headquarters, and the trial now begins. It's just Jesus and Pilate. It's the judge and the accused. There's no jury. There's no eyewitnesses. It's just Jesus standing in a Roman courtroom, standing alone before the one human authority that will either condemn Jesus to death or justify him to freedom and life. And so Pilate starts the trial by asking this first question in verse 33. He says to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responds by saying, are you asking me this question because you really want to know the truth about who I really am? Or are you asking this question because others have said that I am the king of the Jews? And Pilate responds by saying, am I a Jew? Why, why do I care if you are or you're not a leader of the Jews? We are here because your own nation and its leaders want you dead. What have you done? That's the question, isn't it? What have you done? Why are you here? What crime have you committed? If there's no law that has been broken, then there is no condemnation. There is no guilt. There is no death. And so Jesus answers Pilate's question by saying, I am a king. Now, he doesn't say, I am the king of the Jews. He says, I am a king, but my kingdom is not in this world. If it was of this world, then my followers would have fought to free me, but they have not. And so Pilate says, you are a king. And Jesus says, well, you said it. I am a king. And for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into this world. Why? To reveal the truth. To reveal the truth that I am the king. And to reveal the truth about my kingdom and all who hear my voice and they believe the truth about what I am saying, they are my followers. And Pilate responds, what's truth? What is truth? And that's it, guys. That's how the trial ends. That's, that's all of it. 
And so Pilate then takes Jesus out to the religious leaders, and he gives his verdict in verse 38. He says, I find no guilt in this man. He is innocent. Now, usually this is when the innocent man goes free, right? Trial happens. The evidence is laid out. There's no evidence of wrongdoing. The verdict is given, innocent, not guilty. But like a really good politician, Pilate wanted to please the angry faction of the population. So what did he do? Pilate comes up with this political plan, this political game, instead of making the good and right and just decision. He comes up with his political plan. Why? So that ultimately he would not look like the bad guy. You see, during this time, there was this custom that Pilate would release a known, condemned, guilty criminal during Passover. Now, some would say it was to display the very essence of the Passover. The guilty would go free in place of the innocent, but more than likely because Pilate was a good politician, he did this simply to please the Jewish population. And so, what does Pilate do? He puts the innocent Jesus up against a known criminal by the name of Barabbas. Now, there's not much we know about Barabbas, But what's interesting is that Barabbas is mentioned by name in all four of the Gospels. Now, why is this interesting? Well, not even Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, is mentioned by name in all four of the Gospels. And not all 12 disciples are mentioned by name in all four of the Gospels. And so the fact that Barabbas is mentioned by name in all four of the Gospels means that there is something very significant that we must see and understand about this person named Barabbas. John tells us that Barabbas was a thief. Matthew tells us that he was a notorious criminal. And Mark and Luke tell us that Barabbas was a rebel, he was a terrorist, and he was even a murderer. So everyone there would have known who Barabbas was, but not not in a good way. I mean, this guy was famous, not for being good, this guy was famous for being the worst of the worst, someone who would be willing to take the life of someone you deeply, deeply loved. So if you're a pilot, man, what better plan? I mean, if you knew that Jesus was innocent, right, and you wanted him to go free, but you wanted the people to make the decision for you, who would you put Jesus up against? You would put Jesus up against someone whose clear guilt would overshadow Jesus' innocence. Someone like the notorious terrorist murderer Barabbas. I mean, surely this religious crowd would not choose the the terrorist murderer in Barabbas. I mean, surely these guys who claim to be righteous, they would make the good and right choice? I mean, who would they choose? Who would you choose? The innocent man, God himself, Jesus Christ, the only human being that has ever lived, that has lived a perfect life, that never hurt anyone in their entire life, The one who loved even his enemies. The one who 
love the unlovable and touch the untouchable, the one who brought true peace into this world, into the lives of those around him, the one that was generous with everything in his life, the one who had compassion on the sick and the dying, the one who befriended the lonely and the outcast, the one who perfectly obeyed all the Father's laws and commands unlike any other human being in the history of the world. The one that you could trust with everything in your life, even your deepest, darkest sins. Or would you choose the guilty man? The one who put fear in the hearts of those around him. The one who you could never trust. The one who would, wasn't afraid to violate you. The one who would not hesitate to steal the life of someone you loved. Who would you choose? Pilate says in verse 39, he says, hey, you want me to release the king of the Jews or do you want me to release Barabbas? And the crowd says, they said, we don't want this man. Give us Barabbas. Give us the terrorist. Give us the murderer and you can keep the innocent Jesus. Guys, on that day, the greatest injustice was done. As one author calls it, it's history's most spectacular sin. The guilty man was pardoned, and the innocent, perfect, pure, righteous God himself in the person of Jesus Christ was condemned to death. What a tragedy. I mean, truly, what an act of injustice. What a spectacular sin, or was it? On the one hand, it was the innocent, pure, compassionate, loving, peaceful, trustworthy, perfect human being who loved the Father perfectly, loved his neighbor perfectly, was unjustly condemned to death, and the wicked, selfish, unrighteous, immoral, greedy human being was justified and set free. This is truly history's most spectacular sin, but on the other hand... This act, this event, is history's most spectacular display of love and mercy and grace. How? Listen very carefully. Ultimately, this was not the crowd's choice. It was Jesus' choice. Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 10... Verse 45, that the Son of Man came into this world not to serve, or not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says in John chapter 10, for this reason the Father loves me. Why? Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one, no one takes my life from me. The crowd doesn't take my life from me. The Pontius Pilate does not take my life from me. I lay it down by my own choice, by my own accord. The innocent man, Jesus Christ, chose to be condemned to death why? So that the guilty could be set free. So that you and me, all of humanity, the world, we could hear this glorious verdict which says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Guys, all of humanity must be brought into the courtroom of our creator God, and we must see the evidence that's against us. We not, must not give into the temptation to compare ourselves to Barabbas, which is pretty easy, right? I'm not as bad as Barabbas. We must not give into the temptation to put ourselves up against our neighbor. Man, I'm so much better than the dude next to me. But we must compare ourselves to the person of Jesus Christ, for he is the standard. He is the human being that we all have failed to measure up to. And when we do, when we put ourselves up against Jesus, you know what we see? We see that we all have fallen short of the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. When we measure ourselves up to Jesus' innocence, his righteousness, his perfection, his purity, you know what that's meant to do? It's meant to magnify our guilt and shame before him. And actually, this is really good news because when our sin and our guilt is magnified, you know what it does? It magnifies the, the spectacular display of God's love and grace and mercy that he has shown to us in Jesus. That God offers to the guilty pardon. He offers justification. He offers freedom. He offers life the condemnation of the one man, Jesus Christ. Guys, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news of God. That God offers the guilty pardon all because, all because the innocent man, Jesus Christ, was to get condemned to death. What is true? This is true. that all humanity stands guilty before God because all humanity has broken God's law. Man, we're just like Barabbas and we're just, um, or unlike Jesus, that every single one of us have failed to value that which is most valuable. God's law that he gives his creation, gives you and me that is to govern us, is that we are to value and love him above all things and love our neighbor as ourselves. If you think about heaven and eternity, that's what it's gonna be is that it's going to be this kingdom, this community, and the new heavens and the new earth where we're perfectly living out this command and law to love God above all things and love our neighbor as ourselves. But as we look into this world, is that what we see? And we are part of that. The evidence is clear, and the verdict is in, that all humanity stands guilty before God, condemned, and what's coming is eternal death. And this is horrible news. It's terrible news. But I share this news because without the bad news, the good news would not be good news. The greatest news that the world desperately needs to hear and see that all can go free. The guilty can go free can find freedom in the Son because whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. Listen, there are two groups of people here this morning, and there are two groups of people outside these walls, okay? One group, guys, you have seen. God has revealed it to you. You have seen your sin. You've seen God's law 
You've seen how you've failed to measure up to his law, how you've broken his law, and that rightly you deserve to be separated from God, which is eternal death. You've seen it. You see who you really are, but you also see it's been magnified, his display of love and grace and mercy. You see it, and you've received it. Listen, if this is you, I want you to hear loud and clear. I want you to get out of the courtroom. That you run from the courtroom because God will never bring you back into the courtroom. Why? Because his son went in for you, was condemned on your behalf so that you could be forever free. But the enemy will accuse you and seek to bring you back into the courtroom of God on a daily basis so that you hear this verdict, guilty, 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 guilty. Yes, it was true of you at one time, but not anymore. If you are in Christ, there is now no condemnation, and you are free. And this should produce within us great rest, guys. If you understand what you deserve, but you don't get because of Jesus, man, everything else in our lives, I'm not like trying to diminish those things, but compared to this, man, they don't even compare. You are rest and freedom and joy. Man, you look to Jesus and you see what he has done. And, and, and as a result of that, man, rivers, right? Rivers of freedom and joy flowing out of our soul. Thanks be to Jesus. But listen very carefully. There's another group of us here this morning that we just need to stay in the courtroom. And we need to hear the verdict that you stand guilty before a holy and righteous God. And because you stand guilty before a holy and righteous God, what's coming to you is condemnation and eternal death. Now, I understand how harsh that may sound, but it is the most loving thing that I can tell you this morning. Because if this is true, I'd be worse than Barabbas not to tell you the truth. The truth about who you really are and the truth about who God really is, not maybe someone you've made him out to be, but someone who he really is and something that he has done for you, that this morning God is gracious and merciful and loving and he offers you a way out. He offers you forgiveness. He offers you pardon. He also offers you for freedom. He also offers you justification. He offers you life. I've been praying for you this morning that you would see as you would see who you really are, but, you, but more importantly, you would see who God is, and you would see his grace, that you would see his mercy, that you would see his love, and that you would turn to him even now. And that you would agree with him that, yes, I have not measured up. I have not valued you more than anything. I value myself more than anything. I haven't valued others. I've valued myself, and it's right, for this is good and right, your law is, but I've trampled it, and it's right for me to be condemned to death. But turn to him for mercy. Plead for him to mercy. And if you do, you know what? You shall receive it. And you will hear a new glorious verdict which says there is now no condemnation for you as a result of being connected in my son. Guys, I share with you not good advice, not a, not a suggestion 
This is news. This is good news of what has taken place in history past. That's why we spent so much time on the details of this trial, because it's history. It's what God has done in history to bring salvation to us today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. What a spectacular display of love and grace and mercy. Amen? This is who our God is. And this is the news that he shares with us this morning. And if you have received this news, then it's this news that we are to go out from this place and declare it among the people. For how are they to hear the good news if we do not go out and proclaim the good news? They can't. And we would be worse than Barabbas to have this news and keep it to ourselves and not to go tell a world the news that there is a God who offers freedom and life and justification all because the innocent man, Jesus Christ, was condemned to death. Let's pray. Father, first of all, I want to thank you that you have shared this news with us, that you've given us this news. That we, who are dead in our sin, rebellious creation, Deserving of condemnation and death, you have provided us salvation, freedom, life, justification, all because, Jesus, you chose to be condemned on our behalf. Father, I thank you that you have given us eyes to see, to see our spectacular sin, but also to see a spectacular display of your love and grace and mercy in your Son. And Father, I continue to pray for those here and those in this city who do not see, that you would help them to see. The Holy Spirit, that you would do your work of convicting this world. And for those here who do not know you, that you would give us eyes to see. That we would see our sin magnified, but more importantly, we would see your grace and mercy magnified in the person of Jesus. Oh, Father, we give you thanks. And we praise you for giving us what we don't deserve and not giving us what we do deserve, which is death. You've given us life. And we celebrate that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.